to Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative to the insane, starring Ryan Rash. Sometimes I feel like my life should be documented for future generations. And Dale Hummel. Beetlejuice and China do not have our best interest at hand. Now on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel along with Ryan Rash. Hello, hello, hello. Ryan, are, are you excited about the current events today? I don't know. I don't know many current events today. I've been busy. You've been, been judging in Iowa? Yes. And, and how did that go for you? It was a real good show. Uh, lots of good kids. Like, we had 11 states, over 1,000 entries, and so it was fun. Well, that's good. And, and I actually uh, took my kids up there and, and worked with uh, one of our families up there and had a chance to spend a little bit of time with Ryan, but it was a pretty quick trip up and back and just happy those people there at Denver in September were willing to, to get that show put together and numbers look good and, and good people running that show. No, it was a fun time. Well, I have some news out of Chicago, Ryan. Imagine that. Beetlejuice is city. 61 people shot in Chicago over the Labor Day weekend. And how is it possible that no one is protesting or writing about this many people being shot? I, I'm confused. Is that a record? Because like I don't, I don't know. I, I'm afraid it's closer to the norm than a record. I was trying to say. I mean, that's a huge number, but here lately that doesn't seem out of the normal for your lovely fair town there in your home state. And that's just hard for me to accept that this is the norm. It's okay if we have 60, 70 people shot in Chicago every weekend. And nobody seems to, to be worried about it. I know the, the real estate numbers in downtown Chicago have dropped almost 12% on apartment rentals. And, and it appears as though there are people that care and people that have lived downtown for many, many years. They're, they're getting out of town. And I, I, can't, I can't imagine why they would not. Well, I did see something last week that there's just a mass exodus from the metropolitan areas. Just not just Chicago, just Everywhere in general. No, and, and how, how could you not when you, you have the, the protests and more so the riots that are, that are taking place? It, it's it's going to change the dynamic in most of these big cities, and rightfully so with the behavior that's going on. Is Beetlejuice up for re-election? I have to apologize. I have no idea when, when she is going to be re- is or is not going to be re-elected, and it wouldn't even surprise me if she got re-elected. The Portland mayor, he's— one in 2017, so he's been there a little bit. Anyway, new polls came out on him. 23% favor his handling of his mayorship right now. That is encouraging considering the city of Portland. 23%. And the liberal state that they historically have been in. That, that is great. That is great news. He's moving out of his apartment anyway. He might as well just move out of Portland. If he has to get elected anytime soon, I don't see it happening for the poor guy. But, you know. I hope that trend holds for Beetlejuice. That would be good. I do have a China update, Ryan. You know, you know I've been holding off on that. Oh, we love the China. <laughs> what we've got with China, and I'm going to keep it short. I know I've expanded too much on China, but it wears on me every day. Warp speed to build up military the past 10 years like we've never seen before outside of actual wartime production. We are just now paying attention to this kind of buildup and the Chinese Navy is currently superior to ours. The Air Force has increased capabilities dramatically, and China has doubled their nuclear stockpiles. The good thing is we still have significantly more nuclear warheads than, than where China is, and I, and I hope it stays that way. That's uh, 
a whole lot. You said it was going to be brief. That's a whole lot of information. Just a it's bit. just it's just the fact that there there is no question that they're doing these things for a purpose. And I'm not trying to to scare people or, or do anything, but we need to pay attention to what's going on over there because if we don't have somebody in office that that's able to stand up to it, it's it's not going to end well. Your boy Biden's not going to do anything about it. Do you, do you speak Chinese well, right? Mm. No, sir, I do not. I took French in high school. No, I, I do not either. I, I'm going to try to avoid that. Any any news on Kamala? No, I have not. Uh, she is going places, I think, a couple of places. But no, she's been located. I think somebody said something that she messed up this weekend during an interview and like offended a bunch of people. And so they've kind of put her on the back burner this week. Your brother, Joe, Beijing Biden, is going to Michigan at some point this week. He is. He's getting out. I, I know Kamala, Kamala, Kamala is telling the American public that Trump is pushing a vaccine to be delivered and no safety precautions considered. It's almost like Trump's trying to develop the vaccine in the White House basement. It's crazy. Oh. We're in the middle of what's termed a global pandemic, and you would think getting a vaccine developed and approved as soon as possible on everyone's agenda or their goal. Yet we've got Joe and, and Kamala going out there and, and making statements that are going to cause mistrust in this vaccine. And that's going to prolong this pandemic if, if people are unwilling to, to feel safe about, about using the vaccine. I do not know how she thinks Trump is controlling the production in terms of day-to-day production and the safety protocols that are in place. But somehow she, she does not trust the vaccine that's coming through the, the, the procedures. That's the interview that I heard. They kept pushing her, would she be for a vaccine? And she just kept saying she wouldn't trust anything that Trump had anything to do with, et cetera. So yeah, like then I guess she got a, they got a lot of backlash out of that. And so they kind of put her in a basement for a few days. <laughs> Good. They need to put them both in the basement. Do you, do you see the new Biden adopt the made in America plan pushing it anyway? You mean he stole Trump's platform? Yes, you yeah. Could, you, could, you, you could go that direction. Just amazing me. Amazing to me. I saw some statistics this morning that during the, the Obama-Biden administration, we lost a half a million jobs to China. And during the Trump administration, we brought back a half a million. And Obama's on record for stating bringing new manufacturing jobs to the U.S. is impossible without a magic wand. And now Biden's out there trying to, to grab Trump's Made in America agenda and see how far it goes for him. Well, I mean, you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, they say, so... It is. I hope people realize that. I, I really do. I am still concerned. I know we, we talked about it a little bit before on the vote by mail. I did get to watch a little bit of Fox News this morning. That That's not looking good. I'm just going to be real honest. That I think they said North Carolina, the, the people that have requested mail-in votes, 33, which these numbers didn't add up to me, but 33% were Democrats and 21% were Republicans. Well, where's the other 40 something percent? I I don't know. I don't know what they're they're talking about there. I do recall that the legal battles about the vote by mail ballots in Nevada that Trump's legal team was challenging earlier. I have some personal insight on on that one and the, again, these were ballots that were going to be mailed out not such as an absentee ballot, no verification whatsoever, just mail them out to anybody they have in in their books. So I have a family friend in in Nevada, and this person's 
father passed away 19 years ago. Her mother is still alive, and she receives a ballot not only for herself, but her deceased husband that has been gone for 19 years. We're talking about 19 years without an update in this database that they're, they're using. This is a huge problem. That, that's not good. Can you imagine what I would do with that, that extra ballot that was sent? I can only imagine what you would probably go photocopy it and send it in <laughs> 15 times. But, you know, oh. that's not legal. But No, it's just, but you know it's going to happen. The thing that I keep hearing over and over and over and over again is there will be no winner on election night. None. Because of all the mail-in ballots. Like, that, that's getting repeated a lot. Which is scary. Not only just the mail-in ballots, even if it goes smoothly, but the fact there's going to be legal challenges no matter which way it goes. Well, they're not focusing on that. They're focusing on the fact that because all these mail-in ballots are going out, you know, they won't know because they'll have some of them in, but they won't have all of them back. And what do you do with the ones that aren't back? And since they're not postmarking them, uh, yeah, it's... It's interesting. And and you had a, a good perspective on what happens if, if this is not settled by Inauguration Day. We've already been through this once, Bush Gore. And I just would like you to remind people so that they understand the magnitude. Uh, it was a mess. I, I don't remember much of it because I really wasn't following following politics back then. But like, I, all I remember was hanging chads with the thing. <laughs> exactly. And, and But this, this time, if it happens, we have your, your good friend Nancy Pelosi that steps in. Oh, yeah. Like, if it's not settled by the time of the inauguration, there's a lot of people say Nancy's your president. Again, she has to continue to be the Speaker of the House. And I'm just not so sure that's going to happen, even if the Democrats keep it. She only won by, like, five votes last time. And they had Correct. nobody strong to run against her. Now they do have people. Maybe her ice cream and her getting her hair cut and Sam, maybe some of those things will, will help push her out. We can only hope. A little bit of perspective on COVID-19, Ryan, and we know we talk about this on most episodes, but it's interesting now that there's actually some real data coming out and you can start forming your own opinions on, on what's going on. And I do not like using death numbers as statistics. If this happens to be a person you know, it doesn't matter if there's you lose one person or a million, it's terrible. So please do not take these, these comments as I'm minimizing life in any manner. I, I saw some statistics from viral-related deaths in the United States in 2018 was 2,813,503 people. So almost 3 million people in 2018 lost their life to something viral-related. The total viral-related deaths from January through July of 2020 is 1,385,000. This proportionally is a bit lower than the numbers from 2018. I know we can play and massage numbers and, and we can do a lot of things we want, but that's that's a pretty eye-opening statistic for me anyway, that, wow, the death rates, if, if we, we throw out the number of positive COVID cases and we throw out all of the ones that, that may or may not be COVID, just ignore that. Let's look at death rates and, and maybe even true hospitalization. We can start to analyze and understand the magnitude of where we're at. And again, there's no question it's affecting certain individuals and particularly those with, with underlying conditions, it appears 96% of the COVID-related deaths are related with people that have some underlying conditions. And those may be minor, but, but still there. So it's hard for me to, to just wrap my head around just where this is yet, but I think we're getting closer. I 
didn't research it enough because I, I just didn't have time. But, like, I heard that the CDC, I saw this on several things, that the CDC released that only, like, 10,000 of the 183,000 supposedly COVID-19-related deaths were strictly from COVID, that all the other ones had underlying conditions. So if that is right, that's pretty eye-opening in my opinion. It is, and nothing to minimize those with the underlying conditions that are losing life or or anything like that, but we need to realize that any other viral issue is is also going to cause some problems like what we're dealing with. Some other data that came out, especially as schools are opening worldwide and more so in other countries, that the asymptomatic spread is rare, and people with symptoms are 28 times more likely to spread than an asymptomatic person with the actual COVID virus. The actual definition of contact that is likely to cause spread is face-to-face within six feet for prolonged periods of time with an symptomatic person. So we're, we're starting to realize it, there's no question it's contagious, but we, we probably are, are getting information now that's, that's narrowing that focus and letting us know where we're at. We talk about masks, and I hear Joe Biden, everybody in the country needs to put a mask on, whether you're outside by yourself or not. From what I can tell, the N95 or equivalent masks are going to help lessen the spread both directions. Many of the masks that we have right now, the cloth masks have both upside and downside. On the upside, if you have a symptomatic person that coughs or sneezes, it's going to help contain those moisture droplets that carry the virus. However, on the downside, Many of these masks actually increase moisture retention, trapping the virus, along with poor filtration. With any mask, you tend to increase face-to-hand contact or hand-to-face contact, and that that is not good. So I'm still kind of up in the air where that's going to go. Well, I do know Biden has reversed his stance on the national mask mandate as of this weekend. He no longer believes that it has to be nationwide. That That's probably a good good direction to take on his part. Now, he did not go into any depths in explaining what he thought it should be, but right there during the convention and after, he was going to have a national mass mandate. Now, not so much. It apparently <laughs> pulled that direction for him. Evidently. <laughs> what about the fires on the West Coast? I, I have to apologize. I'm not, I'm not familiar with any statistics or any of the specifics there, but plenty of my friends in California, Oregon, Nevada, they're, they're telling me it's, it's real and it's bad, maybe as bad as they've ever seen. Fox reported that it's the worst in 100 years, I guess. Yeah, and it's not getting as much coverage. Um, well, to no. My knowledge, to no, my knowledge, not. this is the beginning of fire season out there, and that, that's frightening. The, the one thing that I thought was, and I still don't know how it happened, one of these fires just recently got started because of a gender reveal party. <laughs> what was this? I'm serious as a heart attack. And I didn't, again, I didn't get to research it enough, but I do know that one set of these fires, and it was like in the last couple of days, it all started over a gender reveal party. And I don't know if there was fireworks involved or what, but yeah, a gender reveal party started wildfires in California. Right now, the conditions are so ripe for fires, obviously, and they're so dry. I think just, and I, and again, I'm not for putting regulations and everything, but right now, some common sense has to be implemented, and we just, we have to avoid anything that's that's going to spark any of these these issues any further. It's it's serious, and it's it's not good. On a more positive note, Ryan, guess who we have on today? 
Glenn Allen Phillips. You are good. You're you're well informed. I am. Well, I I'm excited to get a chance to to visit with Glenn Allen and and uh, talk a little bit about the American Royal. But Glenn Allen Phillips is the president and CEO of the American Royal in Kansas City, Missouri. Raised in Seagraves, Texas, he has had a lifelong involvement with agriculture. Glenn Allen was active in 4-H and FFA while growing up, serving on the Texas 4-H State Council and as a Texas FFA State Vice President. He received an Associate of Science degree from South Plains College in 1990, a Bachelor's in Animal Science from Texas A&M University in 1992, and a Master's in Animal Science from Angelo State University in 1994. Phillips was a member of the livestock judging teams at South Plains College and Texas A&M University. I was first introduced to Glenn Allen when he served as a livestock judging team coach at Angelo State University and Texas A&M. He first began his professional career in the stock show and rodeo industry at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo by serving as livestock director from 1998 through the year 2000. After leaving Houston, he spent 19 years with San Antonio Livestock Exposition. Glenn Allen is a member of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions, is the immediate past president of the North American Livestock Show and Rodeo Managers Association, Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, and is past chairman of the board for the Association of Rodeo Committees. Glenn Allen was recently named general manager for the National Finals Rodeo, annually held in Las Vegas, Nevada. Glenn Allen and his wife, Tracy, have three children, Garrett, Gracie, and Gentry. The Phillips family is involved in youth rodeos, showing livestock, and are active in their church. Glenn Allen, we are, are truly happy to have you on and blessed that you're, you're willing to come on and, and talk about some of the issues that, that are going on with the American Royal, considering COVID-19 and, and how the year has gone for stock show families. But we're, we're excited to have you. Thank you, Glenn. Well, thank you and Ryan both. I'm excited to be here and uh, thank for what thank you both for what you're kind of doing with this podcast. And uh, we're looking forward to the American Royal in October. Excellent. We'd love to hear the fact that we're going to have an American Royal and you're doing everything that you can to, to ensure that happens. Before we dive into some of those those changes and, and what you've dealt with COVID, can you give us just a little bit of history of the American Royal? Sure. Uh, the American Royal began in 1899. Uh, here in the West Bottoms uh, in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, here at the West Bottoms, of course, is where the Kansas City stockyards were. And for uh, during that time frame and all the way up through the, the mid-1960s, uh, the, there were between 100,000 and 150,000 head of cattle a day that came into the Kansas City stockyards. Uh, so that was kind of our beginning with the American Royal. Uh, we were the, started as the National Hereford Show. Few years later, uh, we added two or three other breeds of cattle. Started adding in equine events, and from that time on, uh, we have just continued to expand and grow. Currently, we have the World Series of Barbecue competition. Uh, we are the largest barbecue competition uh, in the world. We continue to have a PRCA rodeo, our livestock show, and and multiple different equine events here in Kansas City. Excellent. It sounds like a lot of the, the national shows, and we kind of started with uh, stockyards in, in, in that area, and it kind of progressed through cattle and branched out into some of the others. I know the American Royal on, on a personal level, some of my first memories of the American Royal was judging there on a, the National FFA Livestock Judging Contest. I remember grading cattle in the old stockyards and giving reasons in the, the exchange building. Um, it, it was good. Later, I had traveled as a collegiate coach the junior and senior college contest, and and again using that exchange building, just being part of that history was 
was amazing. This was a contest that always stood out with a lot of the collegiate students as, as one that they, they really remember and, and cherish a great deal. I know at in today's time, I guess after the, the, the coaching or during at the time I was coaching, I was helping my nephews show some hogs at the American Royal. And currently my family works in the, the goat arena or helps other families get through the, the goat show ring along with my children and, and just lifelong memories are being made there. And I hope they continue for many years. You bet. Yes, we're, we plan on continuing on. Uh, and as you said, the American Royal is steeped in tradition and history, and it's a outstanding agricultural history. We're in the center of the country, and uh, we're just excited about the show that's upcoming this year. Well, what what have you what have you got in front of you? And I know your plate's been very full. Some of the challenges of of holding the Royal in in twenty twenty. Well, there's as you can imagine, multiple challenges out there. I think the biggest challenge has been the unknown. The unknown and then the constant changing of different requirements, regulations, rules. So that really limits your ability to plan. When we start planning, we have been through so many different scenarios as far as social distancing, ingress, egresses. Uh, the mask requirements that, that uh, you and Ryan were talking about earlier has been a, a, a challenge in its own right. And uh, But we're going to focus and we're going to ask everyone to wear their mask, whether people believe they should or not, but if it allows us to have a livestock show, then we'll we'll all wear masks together then. Glenn Allen, is that basically the biggest restriction that the American Royal is going to have put on them is that the exhibitors and spectators and everyone there is going to have to have masks? Masks and social distancing to the best that we can. And we all know that that's a challenge with the livestock show. We've made quite a few adjustments in some of our planning to try and allow a little more social distancing. So we've changed our show schedule to hopefully give more room in our cattle stalls and the sheep and goats. They will be impacted quite a bit just from everyone that's, that's been to the American Royal and has, has been in Upper X. That gets really crowded, really congested. So uh, to accommodate that, to allow to spread out we will be showing the sheep and goats in Hale Arena uh, right next to our steer show that will be going on. That's going to be logistically challenging for many families, and we understand that. But that's one of the requirements to be able to host our show is to spread that congestion out upstairs a little bit. And I think, Glenn Allen, in these times, just the fact that the American Royal is going to take place and you're you're putting things in place that you have to, to make sure this happens. I think most of these livestock families, I hope I'm, I'm encouraging them right now, whether we believe in wearing a mask or not, if that's what we need to do to have this show and the health department wants us to do it, you just do it. It's simple. If we have to walk those sheep and goats down the ramp to get to that arena to show, that's fine. I'd, I'd sure rather do these things and not have a show. So I, I encourage everybody to, to please just jump on board and don't fight this one. Let's, let's do what we need to do to make sure the American Royal takes place. Yes, and, and, and thank you for that. It, it, it's a, let's all hope this is a one-off year. And we all want to have a livestock show. I know the exhibitors want to show. We want to host them here in Kansas City, and we're all doing whatever we can just to have this show this year. No, and, and it's appreciated. What uh, I heard some rumors, and, and like a lot of the shows right now, it, it's, it's interesting. We, we worry well, where, where our numbers are. Our stock show families getting rid of livestock because they're fearful that the shows aren't going to take place. How how were your junior market numbers in terms of DNA nominations? Well, our DNA nominations are up, and they're up quite considerably. 
part part of that we're 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 up well over two thousand in our DNA nominations, but part of that is that we required DNA on our crossbred gilts this year, which we have not done in the past. So we're up uh, between the goats, barras, lambs, and steers. We're up right at a thousand on DNA nominations alone. That is a bunch, and and I'm assuming not only with your your COVID restrictions and and social distancing, when we bump numbers up like that, I assume that's that's part of the reason. Just space upstairs with the goat and sheep numbers. Exactly. Our largest increase were the uh, the lambs alone. Uh, we were up over 560 nominations in the lamb show alone. So that is why we are spreading all of that out. We've also adjusted the schedule. Uh, we're hopeful that we will have more steers than what we've had in the last few years. So we are we are planning for that to be able to spread out, gain a little bit more space in lower X as well for our uh, junior market steers. With that that number increase, in, and again, I'm only going to assume we're attributing it to some of the state fairs that were canceled and other shows. People decided that the American Royal is going to happen. We're just going to hold on to them. And I hope I hope we get numbers that show up, but still within in levels that you can, can accommodate such. We will find a way. We are committed to have the show. We're committed to the exhibitors. And so uh, we have multiple different contingency plans. But our, our biggest concern is having so many animals that uh, we have a difficult time hosting everyone. Understandable. And I'm assuming you're, you're meeting with the health department and or the mayor's office and trying to, trying to stay with them whenever guidelines they're, they're placing out there. You know, so what, what we did and, and our first event was the uh, Hereford Junior Nationals that we hosted here in Kansas City. And that was uh, originally scheduled in another location. And thank goodness for great partners uh, with the American Hereford Association and a great staff. We put together a plan in in less than two weeks to get approved. And what our approach was, instead of waiting to be mandated to, we developed our own policies and procedures. And then started meeting with the health department's uh, mayor's office to get approval for our plan, which we felt like would be more feasible just related to the fact that our health department have never been around livestock or livestock exhibitors. And uh, being proactive like that, I think, has really been very positive for us. Glenn Allen, what is the status on the open shows at the Royal? We are, uh, we're having the open shows. We had to modify our schedule slightly, Ryan, to bring in and keep the distancing needs that we needed. But uh, no, our open shows, entries are, are coming in. And so uh, they're moving, entries are coming in very strong, and we think we're going to have some of our largest open shows that we've had in recent times. That's awesome. I know that, you know, during all this, that a lot of the open shows have been canceled in many states and many shows, and I realize it's not nearly as important as the junior shows, but especially in the cattle industry, that's still a very, very vital part to the livestock show industry, and so I'm glad that y'all's open shows are going to get to happen still. Well, Ryan, you're exactly right. Uh, Our open shows are very important to us. We have uh, quite a few breed associations based in the Kansas City area, and we want to showcase agriculture. And that, again, goes back to our history in 1899. That's what we started as was open cattle shows. So, yes, we're very committed to to having all of our shows. That is excellent that that's going to happen at at this level, because I know that 
We talked to people there at the North American, and they're they're concerned about making adjustments down to maybe just a junior show or, or doing whatever they have to, just like you are, Glenn Allen, to, to make sure something happens. And it does seem like the open shows are some of the first things that they're cutting out. And, and I understand that, that cuts have to be made, and it makes it challenging. You spend a lot of time, and, and I have had some contact with you while you're there at, at San Antonio. In all your years of managing livestock shows, have you dealt with anything quite like this? Never. Never. This is the craziest thing that any of us have been a part of. Uh, as a as a parent myself that shows livestock, we were in Houston uh, when it was shut down. We were fortunate. We show lambs, so we, we were able to finish the show that day. And I'm still personally a little in a little disbelief. I think the biggest thing that that I hope exhibitors realize, and I, and I believe they really do, is that all of us shows, whether it's a state fair, a national show, a Texas major, no matter what the show is, we spend a year getting ready for it. And we're just as disappointed when we have to cancel a show or an event as exhibitors are. Because basically, it's almost a year's worth of work that you just put in to showcase agriculture, showcase what's going on in the show ring, support kids, promote the the different genetics that are out there amongst all the species. So this is just the craziest thing I've ever been a part of. Yeah, and Glenn Allen, you bring a unique perspective. And and I think a lot of exhibitors out there maybe are, are aren't aware that, like yourself, there's other show managers out there that they have kids that are showing, they're involved in that stock show industry, and, and you're feeling it right along with, with everybody else and completely understand the magnitude of, of what's going into these projects and, and not only the financial, but the time commitment, everything that, that's behind them. So you're, you're looking at a role as a show dad along with the CEO with American Royal. Amazing to me that, that this is, is, we're going through this right now, but the fact that, that we have people like you in charge and, and we're going to find a way. And I think the fact that you were proactive on this one and presenting your, yourself, I, I think is part of the reason that I'm very hopeful American Royal goes, goes as well as it, I, I think it can. Well, I, it, we're in that same boat like everyone. We had a family discussion early on. Do we go out and purchase animals? And the way we looked at it is if we don't have them on feed prior to ownership deadline, we can't show. So we're sitting there as a family uh, with a financial risk out there, uh, just being positive and, and, and hoping that the shows uh, continue to move on. And, you know, I can't give a 100% guarantee the way that everything changes. But uh, we feel very strongly and very positive that our show will occur, and we're excited about it, and we're, uh, we're doing all we can to get ready for it here in Kansas City. Glenn Allen, will there still be livestock zoning contests at the American Royal this year? As of this moment, yes. And, and the only reason I preface it that way, we are committed to uh, having both our junior judging contest as well as our collegiate contest. The only way that it would not occur, uh, Ryan, is if, we started getting feedback that schools could not travel at all. We know that different universities or different junior colleges may be impacted, but if it gets to a point where we're talking so a few schools or universities that can come, then the expense would be too much to hold it. But again, the judging contest is my first experience uh, here at the American Royal uh, competing in it, coaching in it. And so, uh, any way possible, our judging contest will occur. I know I've talked to several judging team coaches too, and they're just as concerned about not being able to travel as what y'all are in hosting an event. And with so many other 
things, especially on the college level and high school level, being canceled like sports and stuff like that, it is going to be a challenge. But it is good to hear that y'all are going to at least make it possible for them if they can attend. So that's very positive. Yes. And uh, of course, just like our livestock show, we had to make some adjustments. We're moving it up earlier in our show schedule so we can utilize more of the facilities to spread kids out while they're judging, the ability to spread them uh, out uh, with with, uh, uh, social distancing while they're preparing reasons and all of that kind of stuff. We're fortunate we have a, a really good set of superintendents in our judging contest. We have a really great judging contest committee that uh, everyone has judged and or coached collegiate teams. So uh, we're, we're excited about the contest that we'll put on this year. That's good to know that you're going to make that effort. And I sure hope schools are allowed to travel at that point and, and things go positive. I know it's obviously special to all three of us. And I have a daughter that's currently a sophomore and those sophomores in junior college or seniors in senior college, I mean, this, this is their only shot at it. That's exactly right. And I can't imagine not, not being able to compete in, in that one if that's something you've spent from whenever you started and as an eighth grade or an eighth grade, eight-year-old or nine-year-old in 4-H or once they got into FFA. I mean, that's kind of the culmination to, to compete at the, the American Royal Louisville at Houston. It's, it's, it's scary that those things may be missed. Very true. Very true, but I think uh, I think the majority uh, of the contest, if they can find a way, they will put them on. And and uh, because of what you said, if you're on the junior college ranks, you get one year eligibility. Senior college, you get one year of eligibility. So uh, we will find a way here in Kansas City. And I know some of the the coaches and the, have had meetings on this at the coaches association and. They've talked about extending it out for another year, but you can't expect somebody to stay at a junior college an extra year, not not move on to senior college, or that senior college person not to go out into the real world. It just, I, I appreciate the fact that that maybe some of those opportunities are going to be available, but I I just don't know if it's practical. I agree with you, and you know, I think back to it whenever I was in college and and judging at Texas A and M and. I was working at the Sheep Center. Dr. John Edwards was in charge of the Sheep Center and was also the judging team coordinator. And Joel Callie was a coach. And grades may not have been just real strong. And uh, Dr. Edwards informed me that I was in college to do more than just judge livestock. So I would have been one of those that needed to uh, move on out. No, exactly. And I think we need to keep that perspective there in place. And I think, fortunately, most of those coaches are, are doing a nice job with that. So we have a lot of exhibitors, obviously, animals on feed, whether it's open show or the junior market shows getting ready to come to Kansas City. Is there anything within those species? And we talked a little bit about the sheep and goats maybe obviously be showing downstairs and it's going to be a little inconvenient. But is there anything that they need to be prepared for or have in mind as as they show up to the Royal? I think the uh, biggest difference that uh, that we're working through right now is just the fact that we're we will be uh, tightening up the facilities in terms of ingress and egress. We've been pretty wide open in previous years, where we have struggled with getting events approved uh, here in Kansas City has been our large public facing events or ticketed events. So uh, we will be uh, tightening that down a little bit, requiring you to have uh, access to verify, you know, to make sure you're coming just for the livestock show. Along with that, uh, our arrival process and unloading, we are trying to make that a little more efficient. So those are the biggest things that we're faced with currently. When we 
get all of our entry numbers, we may have to make some more adjustments just in terms of stalling or pinning locations or arenas that we actually show some of the livestock in, primarily just looking at our smaller animals in particular. But uh, we just ask everybody to be flexible and to realize that this is new for us as well. And we will do our best to keep everyone informed. But at this point, until we know our, our entry numbers, we, we really don't know the, the, you know, really what to expect to be able to account for all of that. No, and I, I encourage all those exhibitors and, and my family will be one of them traveling out there along with other families that we're helping. But I encourage the exhibitors, we have to be open-minded and realize we're going to make some adjustments. We, we have to be positive. And if you've got the exhibitors that are coming into it with a positive attitude and Glen Allen there kind of heading up things at the Royal, this is going to be as good as ever. It's going to be different, but we're going to make it going to make it work. And I, I think it will. Glen Allen, the best place. I know changes may continue up until basically people are getting loaded up to head that way. Where's the best place to, to get the information about any changes? So uh, our website, uh, AmericanRoyal.com under the livestock section. And we also have a Facebook page, uh, American Royal Livestock uh, Exhibitor Facebook page. And we will be updating those as we continue to kind of get adjustments and see where we're at uh, that we have to make along the way. Excellent. Well, we appreciate that. Ryan and I started a a segment of this podcast here a few episodes ago with question and answer. And we didn't put up that Glenn Allen was going to be joining us this week and until just last night, but we had plenty of questions submitted and we're going to move into that segment. And I'll go ahead and read some of the questions, and, and Glenn Allen will let you respond, and, and Ryan and I will, will jump in afterwards. But uh, several several of them are excited to get the, the opportunity to ask American Royal CEO here questions that they have on their mind. Allison Whaley asked the question, what advice do you have for first-time exhibitors at the American Royal? Well, this would be advice for all, but especially first-time exhibitors, and that is inform yourself. Go to the websites. Every show is a premium list out there. Look through any sort of updates, news that they have. That will answer the majority of the questions you may have. If it doesn't clear up a question or looking for maps as far as which gates are going in or not going in, email us, livestock at americanroyal.com, and we'll be more than happy to, to answer any question you have. One of the things that we focused on here, we don't have it fixed. We don't have it perfected. But as a parent, as we said earlier, we're going to multiple different shows. And we have to remember that exhibitors are accustomed to going to their particular state fair or particular show. And so we're trying to do a better job of organizing our information where it's easy to find. Uh, Just due to the fact that uh, Louisville may post their information one way, Denver different, ourselves different. And that can be pretty confusing to exhibitors. But that livestock premium book is usually the the go to for majority of the information. Excellent, and we we'll, we will also on our Beyond the Ring Facebook page, if it's okay with Glen Allen, we'll we'll post their Facebook yes. address, email address, website address. So we just need to get as much information out there, not only for the American Royal, but we'll try to gather some information for Louisville and and just keep everybody updated. I know there's a lot of of people talking about is the the North American or is the American Royal going to take place or not going to take place. I think it's it's just best that we we go to those those sites and get the information directly from something the American Royal is is releasing or the North American because a lot of times these rumors get started and there's no validity to it and, and that doesn't do anybody any good whatsoever. I think the best thing that 
Glenn Allen just said there is if you can't find it, ask them. That's a rule that or a good piece of advice for any show that you're going to that gets overlooked so much. You know, there's a lot of people that have been to the American role in several shows for 10 plus years and they still may not have the right information. So the easiest thing is to ask the source directly. And so that was a real good piece of advice he just gave right there that I think everyone should follow through on. Corey Fry has a question. What is one thing you wish stock show exhibitors had a better understanding of when it comes to everything that goes into putting on a major show? Well, I think that's a, a really good question. And to narrow it down to one is pretty challenging. But I think uh, Ryan would probably agree with this as far as putting on even the belt buckle bonanza, which is big, big show in Texas. But exhibitors are are singularly focused. And I do this as a show dad. We get caught up in our species only or our own uh, experience. And as show management, we have to look at the whole. How do we move cattle in while we're moving hogs in, while we're moving sheep and goats in? How do we move those animals from stalls or pens to show rings? What do we do about parking? How do we accommodate all the different sizes in trailers? And so I think it is the fact that as a show management, we're really trying to look at the whole and how we can make the full event flow and go. But as an exhibitor, we can get focused just on our particular area and think, well, why didn't you do this? This would be easy to do. Well, we changed one show by a day, a move-in, uh, as an example, arrival moves by a day. You may have just shut down another show or created a backlog of unloading. So I think that that's a challenge. And And the other thing is, is that we need to remember at these shows that this is our gateway to the general public. And we are actually educating the general public about agriculture and these show animals and, and, and what, what we're all about. So as an exhibitor and as a dad, uh, when we get a lot of public coming through, it's frustrating because I'm focused on getting those animals right, getting them to the ring, having them look just perfect. But this is also our gateway to hopefully help expand and educate the general public more about agriculture. No, I completely understand what, Glenn Allen is saying there and being someone that has not only gone to lots of shows, but judged a bunch of big shows and also put on some shows. I do think that when we're in that role of either showing an animal or helping someone show an animal, you just slip up and you forget that there is so much more going on in that when it's an all species event, especially if there's junior and open divisions that, there is so much more involved to make the whole show happen for all the exhibitors to the best of their ability than just, you know, what you think could be easier for you and the group that you're there with. And that gets overlooked a lot of times. I Every show I go to, I try to tell the people when I'm judging that, you know, you need to go up and you need to thank people that put the show on. It doesn't matter if it's a jackpot or the American Royal. Because they really, unless they've been there in the trenches, they do not understand the difficulties that come with putting on a show of any size, much less do they realize that you get a whole lot more complaints than you do thank yous. And uh, that part is something that I understand all too well. And so I do think, especially in a year like this, where a lot of shows have just canceled. We've got to be more understanding. We've got to be more appreciative 
and really seek out those people that are going the extra mile and going the distance to make these events still happen. And you'll never understand what a handshake or a fist bump or most importantly, just a thank you means from people that come to your shows. I really hope that this appreciation for the shows and the people behind the scenes, it seems to be stronger now than ever. And I hope this continues post post COVID. So all positive on, on that front. And I think people are adjusting and appreciating things. We have a two part question from Bob Roselle. Would you consider removing the milk teeth rule on goats and let the stock stand on their own merit, especially in a year like this with all the cancellations due to Miss Rona? Also would love to see breeding animals added. I assume this this falls into sheep as well, not just goats. Well, this is where we have to be totally transparent here. We actually had in our notes to discuss the tooth rule. And uh, we focused so heavily on all the COVID-related requirements that we just overlooked it this year. And not saying we will or won't change it in the future. We will move forward with the rule as it is written uh, currently this year. And uh, we will be revisiting that uh, following the show this year. And again, we focus so much on on trying to be prepared. The number of uh, webinars we've been on, uh, best practices, things like that, just to be able to have the show that that's one that that uh, we meant to come back and have further discussion on that we didn't get to. As far as adding the breeding shows, that's definitely on our radar as well. Couldn't give you a time frame at this moment, but we definitely want to expand into that area as well, both on sheep and in goats and and, uh, adding the breeding shows as well in the future at some point. Excellent. I have no question. Glenn your plate is full, but we appreciate you addressing those things. And these are are minor things compared to just getting that show pulled off. And I think that question arises from a lot of people, just the fact that they they did not have their state fair that might've been earlier that was canceled and they're thinking, gosh, darn, I, I hope this lamb or this goat holds their teeth. So hopefully it works out well for everybody. And we appreciate the fact that you'll look at it moving into the future. Siler Frost, as American cattle breeds gain popularity, will they start being included in the shows up north like the American Royal? Well, I think we'll certainly look at uh, at different breeds here at the American Royal. Uh, we have had some very preliminary discussions with one breed for the future uh, as well. That's American breed based. The biggest thing that we have to think about it, and especially from an exhibitor standpoint, is that when we add breeds, we have to look at expected numbers just due to our expenses and our cost. Because at the end of the day, we're a business as well, and we have to make sure that it makes sense financially to uh, to add a breed or to add an additional show. As an example, we had to cancel one of our equine events earlier in the year. We canceled that based primarily on the uh, the financial outlook. We had surveyed the uh, exhibitors, we had surveyed trainers, we had surveyed quite a few different areas, and it was very apparent that we were not going to have the numbers to to justify having that show. And I had an email sent in to the office that, uh, well, that was a major mistake because we would have been there. I understand they would have been there, but at the same time, when we were looking at losing fifteen to $20,000, we just couldn't move forward. So I'm kind of going around, don't mean to get lost in that answer, but we're definitely going to look at expanding multiple other breeds. Where can we go with it? And just making sure that it makes sense on expected numbers in the future. And to that point, I'm as big a fan of American breeds as any would like to see them at every show. But for those of you that aren't involved in the American cattle breeds as much and 
want to under, don't understand why they're not at those shows up north. The American breed circuit and a lot of breeds have they have a point system to where they have shows year round and they've been having those shows put in place for a long, long time. And there are places where the American breed cattle are populous. And so adding a show like Glenn Allen said, even though I'm glad that they're definitely interested in looking at it, as he said, from the financial part of it, I would find, I would think there would be some difficulties in getting a new show started there and making it financially feasible. Uh, not saying it can't happen, but I just know those people that, especially on the open circuit, that haul those cattle for those year-round awards, they have a schedule, and they leave one and go to the next one. And so there's a lot more aspects to it than just, you know, what the American breeds are getting overlooked, and they need to be at the American Royal. And so we got to also realize that, too. Excellent description and understanding of that, Ryan. Thank you. Barbie Starr has a question. What is the craziest thing you have ever been asked as a director? That's a that's an interesting question. That's a challenging question. As far as the craziest thing I've been asked to do, probably that that to me that was it's always crazy that everybody wants to you know the rules enforced except for on themselves. Whether that's a <laughs> I didn't check in and now I can't show or whatever it may be. I didn't send in my DNA and one and wants exceptions, but probably the craziest thing that I've ever been a part of was in San Antonio. And uh, we have a there in San Antonio that's in tra- charge of all the trailer parking lot. This was years ago. Their majority of those guys and gals were uh, law enforcement officers, and this was their way to volunteer. And we had a task force that was made up of the Texas DPS, Bear County Sheriff's Department, uh, the San Antonio Police Department, some of the constables, things like that, that were out. I guess they're they're the they were a task force assigned at looking at trying to find stolen vehicles. Well, they were on this mission to find stolen trailers. So they showed up to our trailer lot and by law, we could not keep them out. So they started going through and running plates on every trailer that was in the lot. And they had decided they were going to impound any trailer that the license plate did not match up with the uh, serial numbers. So therefore, they had a list of like 60, 70 trailers. And we all know, heck, we've all probably done it. We pull off one license plate off of one trailer and put it on another one and off we go. Well, our committee was able to talk them out of taking any trailer that the serial number went back to a plate that was owned by the same person. We were able to get them not 10 pound any trailer that was had 4-H or FFA on it. So it really reduced to about seven trailers that were impounded. So we have these trailers that are impounded, and it's been a late show. I have uh, a nephew that's showing there in San Antonio. He had brought a steer and a barrow. Crazy year. His steer was classified out of the breed. By One of the classifiers was even the breeder. His barrow was then classified out of his breed. And then my brother-in-law calls and says, my trailer's not in the parking lot. (laughs) And I thought, there's no way. (laughs) So sure enough, it was a home-built trailer. And he had borrowed a license plate from another brother-in-law. The trailer was impounded. 
It cost him $250 to get this trailer out of the impound lot, which who knows if the trailer was even worth that back in those days. So the next phone call I got when we tracked it down was the fact that no one can ever accuse you of doing any brother-in-law deals at this spot show. <laughs> that is a good story. Oh, my. And like your family thought you were show manager of the year that year, I'm sure, on multiple levels. Let's put it this way. I did not get a Christmas gift that year. <laughs> that, that, was, that was not in your job description, I don't think. Exactly. That, that's good. Really good. We have Melissa Meyer. What would you say to encourage someone to get involved in higher level shows? And I guess I'm going to add to that a little bit. Glenn Allen and, and Ryan can tune in so well. It's interesting to me, and in, in prior to going down to Houston and San Antonio and Fort Worth with the judging teams, I wasn't aware of what those majors were like and, and what was involved in the Texas majors. But it's interesting what a part of the culture it is, people that volunteer at, say, San Antonio or Houston, and how extensive those programs are at the Texas majors. Can you, Glenn Allen, and then, then follow Ryan, if you would, kind of expand on that a little bit, and maybe maybe that's something we can incorporate into the American Royal. Well, I think it is. I think the volunteer programs, especially in Texas, uh, have been outstanding and very strong. It is kind of the end thing to do when you're within those communities and even outside those communities. I think the first thing is, is go to your shows, go to your state fair, go to your regional shows and ask if they have volunteers. That's the first thing we all talk about. We, we struggle finding volunteers and we have a very strong volunteer base here in Kansas City. But at the same time, we can always use more volunteers. And that outreach is, uh, I don't think we communicate it real well about how to get involved. And, and that's something that we all need to work on. But it, it, it's amazing, especially down in, in Texas, what those volunteers have been able to do to grow those shows so large. And so take the leap, pick up the phone, email, and just say, how can I be a part of you? That's the easiest way to do it. Reach out. Yeah, the volunteer network at the... Texas major shows is something very unique and uh, it is like a network and like for Houston, for instance, I know that there's waiting lists to be on some of those committees and to have those badges on several different parts. But in any show, whether you just want to be involved, I think like he's saying, reach out or another thing is show up. You know, a lot of times people don't realize when you get into these shows, people get busy with other things, things mess up, people forget, stuff like that. I can tell you, I know a lot of times from sorting shows and, you know, helping run shows, people that will just walk up there and say, hey, you know what, my kid doesn't show today. Is there anything I can do to help you out? You don't know how many times that saves you in one way or another, just finding a way and to help in any way that you can. So again, like he said, email, call, or just if you're there and you've got time, just go up there and ask. And maybe they have it covered, but you never know. And that's that's a great point. Even at the shows, go up and ask. And and what what we try to do is is have fun while you're doing it and enjoy it. Uh and hopefully people want to come back year after year to volunteer. No, and I and I appreciate both of you tuning in on that. And I think it's hard for, for people to imagine. And I know there's a, a good volunteer base there at the Royal as well. And I've noticed that for, for a very long time. And, and the ones that are set up there at the Texas Majors. And 
Ryan had alluded to it. There's there's people on a waiting list to get on the parking committee or or one of the other committees to volunteer and, and be involved. It's part of the culture. It's it's an honor to to be able to do that. And I think they they obviously have fun doing it, or they wouldn't wouldn't do it year after year. Exactly. Rayleigh Barber has a question: How do Texas major livestock shows differ from other major livestock shows across the country? Well, I think all major livestock shows have their own uniqueness to them. And, that, and, and I think that's some of the exciting things. And I guess to answer this question, it there's a lot of factors that, that come into play. First of all, is that we're very fortunate in Texas to have many major livestock shows. So I think the fact that there are multiple major livestock shows has created a little bit of competition amongst the livestock shows themselves. So I think it's one competition amongst the livestock shows to a degree. The other thing is that in Texas, none of the major shows, none of the shows have any type of state funding to them. Whereas many state fairs, not all state fairs, but they're part of the state government, basically to a degree. They either their their uh, board members are appointed by a governor or they have state funding tied to them. But by being independent organizations, and, and, and we're an independent organization here in Kansas City as well, uh, we can operate more efficiently because we operate more like a true business. And uh, you don't get caught up with some of the uh, governmental bureaucracies out there as much. The uh, partnership with 4-H and FFA is extremely strong in, in Texas. And I, I've been asked multiple times by other show managers across the country, is it the livestock shows that make our 4-H and FFA program so strong, or is it the 4-H and FFA that makes the livestock show so strong? I don't know the answer to that. I just know there's a really strong partnership there that, that both are promoting each other, and I think that's very strong. And then it goes right back to what we talked about earlier, just the volunteers and the number of volunteers that get in and do what it takes to be in San Antonio and watching uh, volunteers loading trucks all day. Uh, especially hog trucks, it's amazing to see some of the jobs that these folks do. So I think that's a big part of it. That volunteer base is what it made the the Texas shows grow so strong, especially within our junior auction programs. One of the things that in Texas, the majority of the financial support, whether that is scholarship dollars that are coming through these shows or whether it is auction proceed sales are not originating in the agricultural community. And that has been built by the volunteers going out into the communities, networking out there, convincing people of how important these livestock show programs are to the youth. And that is what has really been able to grow that financial base out there. So, you know, I think those are, are a lot of the, the the strong partnerships out there. I know uh, spending all those years in Texas, 21 years of working with shows in Texas, the validation program uh, is extremely beneficial. Whereas here in Kansas City, we're doing our own DNA sales. Uh, many of the other shows do, or, do their own. Having that validation grouping uh, out there makes it more efficient for exhibitors uh, and cuts down on a lot of the errors as well. So I, I think those are some of the differences that, that are out there is I would tie primarily to the fact that that the majority of the Texas shows can operate as an independent business and it allows you to move faster and and more efficiently. 
Glenn Allen brings up lots of very good points there in terms of what makes them different. I think just another thing that there's a big difference is, is like, and this isn't negative. I don't want it to come across negative. Is like, I think shows like Kansas City and Louisville, they're a little more laid back. And the environment in Texas at those major shows, it's intense and all all the way around. And, and not just if you're there trying to win the whole show. It's intense in terms of making the sale and getting a brand, as we call it down here. And so there is so much going on in terms of the volunteer network. And as he very well put out, put, put the point out there, the amount of money that can be achieved in terms of the junior livestock shows in Texas through the premium auctions, through scholarships, that's what makes that environment just a little more intense than other places because it is vast and it really, really a unique deal there to not only just have it at one event, but we have from State Fair to San Angelo to Austin, San Antonio, Houston, Fort Worth. I mean, we, we get six of those opportunities a year, much less our county fairs and stuff like that. And so it is it is a very, very different vibe and feel. I do think that even though the premium sale at the American Royal is amazing as well, I just think that overall uh, the atmosphere is a little more laid back and a little more fun-loving, I guess, would be one way that I would describe it. Well, Ryan, and, and I would agree with you exactly on that. I think that just the pure numbers of exhibitors and animals really uh, – makes that more intense. Uh, I don't know if intense is the right word, but to your point, not as laid back uh, because kids are chasing a sale hole, mm-hmm. but there are so many more sale opportunities there. And and in Texas, what makes the numbers are not the diehard showman. That's not where the numbers that really builds that program comes from. It's from that kid that has one pig on feed or one lamb on feed, and they're going to show at their county and go to one, one major in Texas. And by increasing those numbers and, and having 4,500 kids enter Market Barrows into San Antonio or to Houston, that then gets the volunteer base who aren't maybe as agricultural tied excited just seeing the pure numbers of kids that are being reached. Excellent. And I, and I think that that holds so true. And it's, it is interesting. And, and Glenn Allen even mentioned it back in the, the mid part of this, this episode that each show is a little bit different. And we've got to keep in mind that just because we do something at our county fair or our state fair at one of the national shows, it may be a little different the next one. And the the steadfast rules, go check out that premium book. And that's usually going to guide you for the most part. If we can't find those questions, make sure to email or call that show and get those questions answered. The more informed and the more prepared we are as we go into a show, the better it's going to be for us, That the the more enjoyable of experience for the kids and the youth that are involved. So it's it's all good. And it's been a great episode, Glenn Allen. I want to thank you for coming on to Beyond the Ring to get information out about the American Royal. I appreciate your perspective as a show dad and as a CEO of the American Royal. And I, I think the experience you bring to, to Kansas City is part of the reason the American Royal is going to take place this year. And we can't thank you enough as a stock show community. And I cannot emphasize enough, those of you heading to the American Royal, there are going to be some changes. Let's put on a mask. Let's not complain about it. Let's social distance as best we can and realize that, yeah, if we have to walk down a ramp to show a goat or a lamb, that's part of it. That's a whole lot better than not showing at all. But we thank you very much, Glenn Allen, for being on, and it is appreciated. 
Hey, thank both of you so much. Thank you both, and until next week, please be safe. Y'all come back now, you hear?